In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. All right, folks, welcome into the Orange and Brown Report podcast. I'm your host, Jared Mueller. Hope you guys are doing well going into a week that I'm sure if you're like me, it's a weird week. You're not even sure. Holy cow, it's Wednesday already because Monday Night Football ran into Tuesday, ran into, messed up your whole day, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm going to have Jake Birds on here in a second. But before I do, I want to talk to you about Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Hallelujah. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on being the right person uh, that you need to keep your business going. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed Match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And now I get to... Welcome in my Blue Wire teammate, my OBR teammate, Jake Burns. Jake, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good, Jared, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm feeling my age. I'm feeling my age. You know, we got Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and Old Man River just wants to take a nap. But, you know, we're here. We're moving forward. And, you know, the Cleveland Browns are 9-4 and four after a chaotic, crazy 47-42 to loss to the Ravens. And so, um, you know, given your – uh, penchant for understanding quarterback play and offenses and defenses really as well. Um, really want to start there with Baker Mayfield. I read uh, your piece uh, on the OBR site uh, that you probably put up at 3 in the morning um, just talking about Baker Mayfield's interception. And I think based on that, me and you might see that interception differently. So I want to just start with you. When you look at that interception uh, uh, by Tyus Bowser uh, to the uh, left flat there, is that an interception? You know, what are your thoughts on it? Big concerns, similar to his his concerns that we've had over the last few years with his interceptions, or was it something different for you? I th- I thought it was a weird one, man. I I I'd originally thought he didn't see him, and then I went through the process of 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 looking at the tape and and the TV view as best I could because the TV view gives a lot of replays of different ways to look at it, and and uh, I just. I just thought it was really weird that he wouldn't see him. And Baker kind of confirmed that he didn't see him in his, in his press conference after the game. He says, I have to, I have to see him. I have to, you know, I have to see those guys up the line of scrimmage and drop out. And I didn't do a good enough job with that. I actually think he, he, he there's no physical way he couldn't <laughs> see him. Like he's looking right down right the line at him. at him, but he misses it inside low. So I think he just missed the throw. I think if he throws it out and away to the left, 
out, out toward the sideline. I think it's a completion. I think he just missed it. He let it leak inside. He was getting some pressure off of his right side. If you go back and watch it, he's actually uh, there's a there's a slot blitz off his right side, and they bring an inside backer, and one of them comes free. So I think he sort of feels a little bit of that need to throw it quickly, and he thinks he can get it out there. Uh, but he actually misses it low and inside, and when he misses it low and inside, it's just enough uh, for Bowser to get his hand on that ball. And, and you know, that's that's a ball that he picks off one out of ten times. Just a great play, happened to happened to reel it in. I mean, like I said, that 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 throw is moving so fast. He's running at a weird angle. He just gets enough of his hand on it to tip it to himself. But yeah, like I think I'm pretty confident in the fact that he didn't see him until late, and he thought he could still get the throw out there, but. It, it was just inaccurate. Like I said, if it's if it's outside away, high away toward the sideline, it's a completion in my opinion because that's an easy catch for Higgins to make. If you go back and watch the replay, Higgins is actually sliding to his inside and dropping down low because the trajectory of the pass was inside and low, and that's the only reason that, that you know the, the creeper dropping out in coverage was able to get a hand on it. But, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem. I didn't think it was a bad read. I just think it was a missed throw. I'm not really worried about it. I don't think it's something that lingers. And, obviously, it didn't linger for Baker. He bounced right back. Yeah, and I think that's really where I saw it. I saw it the same way. I think now, you know, as we're talking, is that you know a lot of his interceptions and a lot of the big concerns that you and I had were either just not able to read defense, you know, just not seeing, you know, uh, post snap movement, not understanding where people are, or you know, over the middle, just failing throws and letting them float and all of those. This really felt like he said, listen, worst case scenario, I'm going to rocket this. It's going to break this dude's finger, uh, and it's going to be an incompletion or, you know, whatever. Like, I, it really did look like he, he saw him at some point in time and just said, you know what, I'm going to fire this bad boy in there, and worst case scenario, he, it's just going to be an incompletion because he knock it down. And Bowser was somehow able to make that, you know, make that amazing play. But you're right, you know, and that's where, you know, understanding football, understanding quarterback play, you know, we're talking about the difference between, you know, a foot or two left or right and a foot or two up or down. Uh, that really made the difference there. And then, again, you have a, a defensive a linebacker, defensive lineman in Bowser uh, who makes an amazing play that, like you said, one out of ten times. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we talked about that because his interceptions, Mayfield's interceptions, have been a big concern for both of us. We've talked about it in the past. It just felt like that one was different. Let's kind of rotate to the good. So Baker was 28 of 47, 343 yards. What did you see from Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski's play calling that allowed them to be so successful against the Ravens last night? Well, I think, I mean, they were obviously aggressive in the first half. They were they were in a lot of run-pass balance or run-pass neutral situations where play-action dropping. And, I mean, um, I, just, I just thought they were aggressive. Now, there's – a fair question there of whether they were a bit too aggressive, whether they whether they threw from situations where they could have established a, a more cohesive run game. I, I don't know. I, I have to go back and rewatch it tonight, as I will, and try to get a better feel for that. But I, I didn't have a problem with it. And I thought in the first half we saw a little bit of the tendencies of Baker that we don't love, a little skittish, a little happy feet. Um, you know, kind of a, a great example was that, third down where he's rolling to his right and doesn't see Harrison Bryant in time and then sees him sees him mm-hmm. late and throws a rocket. So like I just I felt like some of those things were creeping up. He was fighting them and I thought he started to really settle in there. 
uh, in the late second quarter and then into the third quarter. Uh, even even during the interception situation, uh, I thought he had settled in at that point and was starting to feel a little bit better. But, um, you know, it, it just it felt like some of those things were, to me, at first in the second quarter where the Browns fell behind 14-7 and had to, had to rally a little bit and, and get and get their feet under them offensively because they weren't running the ball that well. Was you know Baker had to uh, they they got a lot of their rushing yards on those two twelve play drives in the fourth quarter. But I think Baker had to kind of be like, oh yeah, man, this is what it feels like to need to bring the guys back. Like he hadn't he hadn't really been in a ton of those situations where you know the Browns weren't running the football that well. I need to carry the burden. It needs to happen from empty. It needs to happen from, happen from eleven personnel in the gun. Uh, I just have to do it. And I think that there was a little bit of an adjustment period for him of like, oh, God, this is what it's like again. And then it started to settle in. So, you know, there were situations in that game where I thought Baker could have tanked it, much like the rest of the team, especially the way that second half ended and the Mm. unfortunate circumstance of that third and three play that I posted on. Uh, I thought that they could have kept that going and maybe got a field goal before half and it's 20-17 to or whatever, 21-17 or however it shook out. I just kind of felt like those, those unfortunate breaks happened. And, it was 28-14, and I thought that there was a way that team packs it in. But Baker settled in, made some key throws, made some nice third down throws, made I think a couple of nice fourth down throws in that mix too. So I was impressed. I thought he really battled back. He fought against some of the demons he's been trying to eliminate from his game for a while. And by the end of the game, I thought he was controlling the pace. He was controlling uh, kind of where he wanted to put the football, when he wanted to put it somewhere. He was picking apart soft coverage catching combo defenders leaning, especially their corners bailing. And I thought he just, like, up-tempo was in a rhythm. He knew exactly where he wanted to go with it. And when he gets like that, he's almost surgical in a sense. And I thought that that reared its head. And especially cool to see him for the first time really in a primetime stage in a big game, not not a Sunday 1 o'clock Cincinnati Bengals atmosphere, but like a primetime Monday night football against the, a really good Ravens defense, bring them back. And it was 35-34, like, that was real, man. He brought them back and uh, makes that great, fantastic touchdown run. They're leading by a point that they could have gotten the one stop on those two, you know, mm-hmm. with the third down McSorley throw that he makes the first down throw on or the obvious fourth and five play. Uh, they get out of there with a win. So, you know, it's tough. And then it's great to see him the, the, the very next drive come back four plays and score another touchdown. So he was he was feeling it, man. And when he gets in the rhythm, and he starts to have a good feel for where he wants to go with the ball. He starts to know, uh, based on up-tempo, what the defense is going to do for the most part. Like I said, he can be uh, he can be a bit surgical, and I thought that was really fun to see on a big stage. Absolutely, and I think, you know, the reality is against the team, the Ravens, you know, had their backs against the wall that game. They had everything to lose. You know, the Browns, now it was important. They wanted it, all that stuff. But against, you know, a team that has everything to lose, a talented team, getting some of their players back, you know, one, two, or three plays can can really change the game. You talked about the Donovan Peoples-Jones, what seemingly ridiculous offensive pass interference where he ran to his guy, turned, looked for the ball, all of that kind of stuff. And then just after that was the Baker Mayfield um, uh, gra- attentional grounding and then a horrible punt by Jamie Gillen, a 35-yard punt, which led to the Ravens' last score in the first half, put them up 21-14. to Ravens get the ball back, score again. After halftime, it's 28-14. So even if the Browns can run out the clock and keep it 14-14 going into half, you know, that would be huge. And then obviously the McSorley uh, third down, and later obviously when Lamar Jackson returns uh, with those big plays. Just a couple of huge plays that really changed the game. 
when I look at the receiving, we, we've got four or six people with four or more targets, Hunt, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Higgins, Landry, uh, Njoku, and Harrison Bryant. When you see that kind of spread when it comes to targets, what does that make you think about Mayfield, Stefanski, and how the offense is going with that many guys involved? Well, they don't want to throw that much. Let's make that abundantly clear. I think that the structure of what they want to do never calls for throwing 47 times in a game. <laughs> now, it's going to happen. It's unavoidable sometimes. You know, you're not going to not going to play in front every single week. It, it, but but that's not like when they write out. Some teams have it that way. Like, hey, man, we think we can dictate the game pace and, and it fits us best to throw. And then look at Buffalo. That's kind of the way they operate. Um, and that's okay. Some teams it is. But with, with the way the Browns with their – with their skill position group and and uh, and their offensive line, they want to do it a little bit differently. But like we mentioned here, there there are situations where you will have to throw, and when they need to, I I I couldn't be a bigger fan of spreading the football around. I just notice a quarterback who I I almost think he's blind to who he's throwing to sometimes. Like when mm-hmm. he's when he's really rolling, he doesn't care. He's he's a read based guy, and uh, he doesn't really try to force feed any one person. And and that's really you know even if you have a an alpha, your wide receiver or tight end group who demands the football, I think you, you still need to keep it that way because it keeps defenses from covering, uh, you know, being tipped off to being able to cover a certain uh, a certain spot of frequency. And I think that benefits Baker. It benefits the Browns. And you should really want him to spread the football around to all those different people because they're, they're all those are all guys who can – who can make plays? I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones is coming along really nicely for a six-round pick, and sometimes you don't even see those guys touch the football field. And I think he's doing a nice job in a specific role for them uh, and is able to go get the ball. He made a couple of nice vertical play catches, a deep corner, and obviously that takeoff back shoulder on that final drive. It's it's good to see him catch in stride. We obviously know that Rashard Higgins can do it and Landry can do it, and and uh, it's he's always going to involve his tight ends. And I, I, I think – as the game wore on, I started to feel him more comfortable throwing to his running backs. Like I thought in the two minute there before half, he missed a couple throws. He was late on that ball to Kareem Hunt in the left sideline on that second and three that got him rocked. If he throws it to him right away, it's uh, it's an easy first down and they're moving along. Like I just I started to see him. I think this is just my opinion. I've started to see him feel his running backs more in the passing game, and from there. Uh, he'll get more comfortable with it. There'll be less bullet throws. I think somebody's got to get a little more touch on some of those. But he's got he's got a great receiving running back in Cream, and I still think Nick is vastly underrated. And they used him for a couple quick catches on uh, empty sets where he's just running a five to seven yard hitch and settling down, and they'll they'll throw to him. And I think they threw that Landry screen back to him too. So uh, the, uh, everybody can do that. I mean, everybody can be an active participant in the passing game. And I, like I said, Nick is underrated there so uh it's cool it's cool they have a quarterback who's not afraid to distribute and, and a group of guys especially when hooper's healthy that can all go get the football and, and play and i think there's a little bit too much with the separation stuff like i just think that people are going crazy about that it worked <laughs> it worked itself out throughout the game eventually corners are going to get flagged they're going to they're going to fall down they're going to be mistakes made and the Browns took advantage of them. So I, I like, I really do like their wide receiver, tight end, running backs uh, group right now. Awesome, yeah. Uh, now this one's not going to be about Jake, but I'm going to talk to you about Pepsi. 
for me and um, many of us, thanks to our nat- lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, we've all joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day or, like me right now, uh, get you ready just to get through a day after game day. Same will be true after Sunday Night Football going into Monday next week. Going to need some Pepsi. Going to need it to get me through. Uh, Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through any game day and the day after because Pepsi is made for those who watch the game. Uh, sorry, Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Listen, I'm a little tired, folks. Sorry about that. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Pepsi made for football watching. So the last thing I want to talk to you about, Jake, uh, is really um, kind of media fan speak about the running attack and the passing attack. And so obviously, like you talked about, the Browns don't want to throw the ball in the end 48 times with Landry's one throw. Uh, They want to be able to run the ball more often. When you look at, I know Joe Banner talks about it on Twitter all the time and and a lot of different people. When you look at, you got to run the ball to set up the pass or you got to pass to set up the run. I know it's probably a little bit of, of both, but when you look at the Browns offense and just kind of general philosophy, do you think it is one or the other, or do you think it'll be a, a time where Stefanski looks at the opponent and decides to pass to set up the run or run to set up the pass? How do you see those two things working together? It's a, it's a good question. I think Kevin would say that they dictate it based on what they think is best. They'll, they, if they, they play a team, they think, like Tennessee, who, who does not handle play-action passing well, they're going to do it often. They're going to take advantage of it. They play some teams who handle play action better. They're going to do a little less of it. I think in an ideal world, uh, they would like to to take advantage of early game run pass situations that they can play action, get out in front, and then run their running game uh, throughout the rest of the game. They were not able to do that yesterday, as we all know, so it got a little sideways. But they didn't give up on the run. That's important to note, too. They still ran 23 times, and they didn't give up on it. And in big situations, like I said, in the fourth quarter, when they, when they put together two 12-play, 70-yard touchdown drives back-to-back, they were running the football, even though they were down. They did not abandon it, and I, I, I like that. And, and, you know, people will always find a way to complain, whether they're too aggressive <laughs> or under-aggressive. They'll always find a way to complain. But, I, you know, I do, think, I do think there's the idea that you go into it looking at what does the defense do well, let's do the opposite, and let's try to fit as many of the, of the opposite schemes and, and, and things that they struggle with. You would look at any... Even, you know, defenses want to make offenses do what they're uncomfortable with and vice versa. So I think there's that general look, but they also know that they want to get out early, and the best way to get out early is early down play action, uh, neutral situation play action plays where they can take shots downfield and let their quarterback pick apart defenses who expect and run. And, and they will, but they will, you know, they'll, they'll early game run game a test too because, like I've noted throughout the year, they, they want to, they want to see how teams adjust to formation. They want to see how teams adjust to personnel groupings, and then they want to try to find their best running approach. And I, I didn't think they got to do that the way they're accustomed to last night. But by the end of the game, I, I think they were running the football pretty well. And that that's probably overlooked in that game where it ends up being uh, a shootout all the way down to the last minute. But, but those two drives for me were really important for studying how the offense built up throughout the game. And and like I said, if they get the football back after that third and ten, that McSorley punt, or sorry, the McSorley conversion, or the Lamar fourth and five where they blitz, I think they win that game. And I don't, I don't feel, you know, especially with McSorley, there's six minutes left. They're coming off those two long drives. Like, 
I I think that they would have put their foot on the throat and scored another touchdown. I just have no. I just don't. I don't see how Baltimore stops them. They had really had a feel for how to handle them um, from that point. So it's unfortunate that it ended that way. But from a general standpoint, like if they're drawing it up on a whiteboard or they're putting their philosophy in a playbook, they want to throw to get up. They want to take advantage of opportunities where defenses are zealous defending the run, and then from there close the door with two really good running backs the rest of the way and manipulate the clock. So uh, it'll be different week to week, and certainly there'll be situations like we saw yesterday where they're, they're forced their hand to throw 47, 48 times. But, um, you know, I would expect I would expect to be, uh, uh, I guess, surprised week to week. Like they could change it up, and that's a big part of the offensive identity and who they are and who they want to be is that they're not predictable in those situations. And some weeks they might try to just really run the football uh, and, 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 like, think back to maybe Washington when they just kept running the football until when is it going to click? I, <laughs> and, and then it all, it all and then it does, you know? So um, they, they have some nice uh, embedded deception in that in that regard. Absolutely, and that's the thing you love about this, the fancy offense. And so as Jake was talking, the Browns were down 34-20 to 20, uh, with 4 minutes and 21 seconds left in the third quarter, scored with 13-36 uh, left in the fourth, scored again with 6-33, uh, to take that 35 to 34 lead, and then we know it just it got crazy. 151, Baltimore scores. 104, the Browns score a little too quickly, and then we have the Justin Tucker 55 yard field goal with two seconds left, and then we don't even really care about that safety. It is what it is. Uh, nothing too crazy there. So, uh, Jake, thank you for coming on. I'm going to talk about Bet Online uh, as we kind of go to close out. Football is back in full swing. You might be not be at a game this year, but by the way, y'all, 12,000 of you, Baker, I had to quiet you at the, at the game. Like, that is ridiculous that only 12,000 fans all spread out throughout the stadium. You guys were so loud. He needed you quiet you down a little bit. Like, I'm so proud of you as fans. But for many of us, you may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Jake, I hope you get some good rest, man, but I appreciate you coming on. Hey, always my pleasure, brother. Absolutely. And thank you all for stopping by the OVR podcast. Please, please take care of yourself, take care of others, and go Browns.